Let us pray. O Lord, you have made great promises, and we give thanks that you have kept them all. We are weak and often turn away and are overwhelmed by the urgency of our lives and the enemies that surround us. Fix our eyes on you and your promises to see how you provide fulfillment. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the prophet Jeremiah, the 33rd chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. Please rise. Listen, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promises that I have spoken to the house of Israel and concerning the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to grow up from David's line. He will establish justice and righteousness on earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. This is what she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. This is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Neither will the priests who are Levites fail to have a man to stand before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to offer sacrifices continually. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. All last year, we went more or less chronologically through the Old Testament. And now at the beginning of the new church year, at the beginning of Advent, we look forward to the fulfillment of all of it. All of it is coming, the entirety of God's word, to fulfillment in Jesus, who said, of all the scriptures, they testify about me. Jeremiah delivered this blessed promise to God's people that he would fulfill the good promises that he had made. By this time, when Jeremiah was prophesying King, prophesying, King Josiah had tried to repair the worship of Israel. He fixed the temple liturgy, which had decayed through carelessness and through idolatry. And he removed all signs of false worship. But the people's hearts were still not wholly turned back to God. Immediately after Josiah's death, King Jehoiakim returned the nation to its apostasy. And it's to these hearts that Jeremiah was prophesying. Starts all with harsh warnings and law. He told the nation, for example, this whole land will become a desolation and a ruin, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Just imagine that for a minute. Put yourself in their shoes that through his chosen spokesperson, God tells you that because of your laziness in prayer, your ignorance of his will, and your insertion of your own ideas into your religion, your whole way of life will be uprooted. And everything you value will be stolen. Your family members will die, and you will never see your home again. That's the context of this prophecy. God was righteously angry with the people that he loved, the people he had delivered, the people he had cared for, because they rejected him. 
their punishment was coming and it would not be turned away. It's in the midst of this darkness, though. And through that darkness, that the light of messianic prophecy shines. I will cause a righteous branch to grow up from David's line. He will establish justice and righteousness on earth. In those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell securely. Everything in which human beings like to put their trust, everything on which we rely, everything that makes us feel secure and safe, imagine all of that stripped away. Imagine standing in your living room, surrounded by all your valuables and all your loved ones, and suddenly it's all gone. And in fact, you are left falling through a black void, rootless and baseless. You have no more identity. You're completely adrift. But in that void, there is a lifeline, a bright light that wraps around you, and in it you know that you are loved, you are valued, and you do have an identity as a child of God purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the message that Jeremiah is delivering, centered in the figure of the Messiah who is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And who is that Messiah? He's David's righteous branch. The text says, I will fulfill the good promises that I have spoken. And the Hebrew contains something that's a little difficult to render in English translations here, which would be more literally translated, I will fulfill the good spoken things that I have spoken, or the good words that I have spoken. And while it might sound a little clunky, in English, this gets across the idea very clearly that all the good things that will come to God's people are because of and out of His Word. God's Word. That Word goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. See, He planted the seed for this salvation when He foretold the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. And throughout the ages of the Old Testament, this seed sprouted and it grew. It grew into the tree of Jesse and David, all the while giving hints as to the fruit that this tree would bear. This fruit would be salvation for all families of the world. He would rescue from sin and death. He would provide deliverance and new life in God's presence forever. And now hear that a branch is growing on that tree of Jesse, that kingly tree of David. That foretold branch will rule in justice, and he will accomplish justice and righteousness over the whole earth, including salvation and security. And further, this branch will be God himself, the Lord our righteousness, it says, Adonai Tzidkenu in Hebrew. Adonai Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This Advent season leading up to Christmas morning, we are going to hear more about this tree of Jesse and how all of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Of course, that's who fulfilled all of this. It was from a forbidden tree 
that mankind brought about their own punishment. And we've repeated that sin every day in our own lives. We know what God would have us do, but always we want to make that in our own image. We want our own self-determined identity to be exalted over God's commands. We don't care what God has said, we want our way. But again, that identity is stripped away. That identity will not last. The true identity that lasts is what is given by God. Can you claim anything more glorious for yourself than this? That you are baptized and you are a redeemed child of God. We are grafted into that tree. As Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him is the one who bears much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. He's the source of our life is what that means. He is righteous in the first place and he establishes righteousness. He gives righteousness. We can't do anything good without him. We have to go to that tree, the tree of Jesus Christ. And he died on a tree to take the just punishment for our sins. And so he has become for us the new tree of life. And by eating of the fruit that he provides, we have life and righteousness and glory. And that fruit, of course, that comes from that tree is the word, which gives and strengthens our faith. And baptism, which does the same and does that work of grafting us into the tree of Jesus' death and his resurrection life. And Holy Communion, which is the very blood shed on the, that cross of Jesus' shame, that body that he took in order to right our wrongs, given to us for food, the food of eternal life. And as Communion, that supper also joins us to one another in our common confession, and it joins us to him in perfect fellowship. These things are what give us our identity now. Now, of course, each one of us is unique with different backgrounds, different interests, different abilities. And those are all grand things that work together for the unity of this tree that we are all grafted into. But what makes us who we are, what is our essence, is the life that Jesus gives to us in his means of grace. And it all comes because of God's promise, God's word, which establishes a man on the throne and a priest offering sacrifices. Jeremiah said, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Neither will the priests who are Levites fail to have a man to stand before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to offer sacrifices continually. In that same branch... That same Messiah, the righteous kingship, will never end, and the perfect priesthood will never end. And through those two offices, men will have peace with God and with men. Think ahead now to that Christmas message. We've got that in our eyes now. Look how we've decorated our church. We can see Christmas coming. Think ahead to that message. 
Advent is the season of preparation, and Jeremiah calls us to repentance, our house cleaning, as we prepare for the coming of that great guest. We start the turkey roasting, and we can smell it, but we're not eating it yet, because the guest of honor hasn't arrived. We train ourselves in this season of Advent to rely only on God, not on any of the things that seem important to us. We can think of the current pandemic or any of the current events that cause us to fear as a tool for this same preparation. It's easy to get distracted trying to grab on to so many important things that are slipping out of our grasp, but what is really important? Are we turning to God and to His promises? Are we looking for the thing that we are waiting for? On Christmas, we're going to hear and sing along joyfully with the angels when they proclaim glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward mankind. When God is in his heaven, as poet Robert Browning has said, all's right with the world. We begin with that glory to God in the highest. What are we giving glory to apart from God? Political leaders, or agendas, family, physical health. Again, all these things are fine, and they all have their place, all within God's plan. When they're in that right place, they are blessings. But anything can become an idol if we exalt it over God's will or convince ourselves that it's equal to God's will. But think about that priestly position. To be sure, every high priest, as the writer to the Hebrews says, every high priest is chosen from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in the things pertaining to God, so that he may offer gifts as well as sacrifices for sins. What that means is God is angry, and his justice needs to be appeased, and therefore sacrifices need to be made. The very existence of a priest is supposed to be a confession of a people that we are unworthy and we have sinned against God. And God is great and almighty and glorious, and by right he should destroy us sinful people. But it's only by his mercy that he does not. Think of the tax collector in Jesus' parable who stood at a distance and would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. From that distance, he saw the sacrifices being made in the temple. He knew that those sacrifices were meant to atone for his sins. And he took to heart what that liturgy meant. He took it personally. And so he said, be merciful to me, or literally, the Greek helasthete means make propitiation for me. His prayer was that those sacrifices that he could see would be counted for his sins. He was asking for forgiveness. And think of the kingly office as well. How often doesn't Jesus speak of the kingdom of heaven? We live under the rule and care of our heavenly king, establishing peace and justice for all God's people. 
The king serves as a judge of civil cases to ensure that right is upheld and people receive what is fair, what is their due. And he protects his people from attack and from unrest. That's what a king is supposed to do. Through this king, who is also this high priest, we have peace with God and with men. But we're also still waiting for it, you see. The church increasingly is a target of attack in the world, and Christians are growingly persecuted. Additionally, our sins are still hounding us and staining us. The threat of hell looms very real over our evil. But we're also assured in the midst of all of this that even as we have forgiveness in the word and sacraments, that will be made eternal and concrete when Jesus comes again. And even as we have the message of peace that causes Christians to grow together in love, that peace will last for eternity when Jesus brings us to our heavenly mansions. To rely on the promises of God is what I'm telling you. Not a single one of those promises has ever failed, and not a single one of them ever will. His purpose is our eternal salvation. And none of this other muck that's going on in the world is going to get in the way of that. Sure, we're waiting. And we're waiting with confidence. We're waiting knowing who we are, purchased and redeemed children of God. We know who did that purchasing. The branch of David, that eternal king, that perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.